Yeah, so I'm excited about this. is the last day of our series on Hot for Jesus. And so this is our last Sunday. And as I think about today, um, I think about how, you know, during our time of our gathering, I know for some of you, you know, coming here, it probably for you, we, 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 we kind of define a lot here. And, and that's very important for us. The reason why we define and try to talk and define terms so much, have people do reflections, explain how to plug in. All of those things are important because we're in an age where people really are not familiar with the Christian ease. Christian ease are things that Christians can say to one another, and if you didn't really grow up in the church, you wouldn't know what in the heck they were talking about. I mean, like some conversations, you'd be talking about justified. They'd be like, justified? What in the world is a justified? And you begin talking about, yeah, glorification. You'd be like, glorification? When I receive a new body. They're like, a new body? You know, they're like wondering what you're talking about. And so one of the things that we try to do here is the reason why our gathering goes as it is, and we know we're going to have to do some adjustments when we go to two gatherings. But one of the things that we, that's very, very important to us is that we don't just whisk past stuff that you can really be able to understand um, what is in God's word and what God commands and so that we can be able to apply and put these things into practice. And so today we're, we, we're going to talk about a subject to kind of cap off our series, and I think it's probably the best way to cap off our series. Um, today we're going to talk about using the word of God. Using the word of God. I'm going to talk real practically um, about it. Um, we're going to have theological basis for it, but we're also going to talk real practically about the idea of what does it look like to use the Word of God. What in the world is the Bible good for? Why, why do you all rail about the Bible? Even as a believer, many times um, we struggle with what use is the Bible actually. Um, and so we want to really talk through today the Bible being an involuntary action for us in our practice and in our thinking. And in our passions. It kind of reminds me of when I was in college. You know, and I first, I trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior on a college, on Bowie State's campus. And um, a few years later, really began getting discipled heavily. Heavily. Um, and my, my, I, I, I talked to my moms and I was like, Mom, like, I'm, like this Bible you gave me, I mean, I'm struggling with, with homeboy. You know, I'm struggling. You know, I'm saying, she's like, who is homeboy? You know, I'm like... I'm like, Mom, I'm struggling with how this joint is translated. And so she threw me. She didn't know what she was giving to me. But she gave me a Bible that was written in modern English, yet faithful to the original Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. All my mama knew she was giving me was a Bible. And she gave me a New American Standard version of the Bible. And I'm telling you right now, it, was a, it wasn't even made well. The, the outside of the Bible was made of cardboard with some fake leather on the outside of it. And I'm telling you, I would spend hours upon hours reading and then I would take like if I saw a verse that was similar to one verse that was in a, that, that I was in then what I would do is I'll hold my hand here I would turn over to the other verse write the other verse in that verse next to it then go over this verse and write the so that as I began to spend time in the word of God I knew that there were verses in the Bible that had similarity and so I learned the principle of highlighting that is a biblical principle it's in there and so highlighting um writing notes talking about what God was doing in my life, how he was convicting me, um, based on what I didn't know about journaling, so I wrote everything in my Bible. You know what I'm saying? And, and before long, and my wife can attest to this, this was first, she first met me when I was just rough around the edges. I was still grimy E, trying to get sanctified in Jesus. I still got a lot of that, so pray for me. But, um, and so, and so, but, but, but she, she met me, and she saw me in this state of in, entrenched hunger for the word of God. And we we just been doing some spring cleaning, getting our basement um, cleaned out, developed the time for my wife to get some things that she wants. But then I got my man cave finally. Amen. Amen. All the fellas know about that man cave thing, right? Yeah. Man cave. Watch some good fights down there and stuff. Amen. And so um, we, as we were cleaning, I ran across that Bible. Now, I haven't seen that Bible in so long. And I looked at it, and the back of my Bible was detached. You know what I'm saying? It was like three Bibles. It was like in three parts. Because I had so gotten into that Bible that the pages were bleeding. I mean, the Bible was falling apart. 
And, and, and I remember I would take it to church and people would say I needed a new Bible. I just got real attached. That was my, my, that was my Bible. I, you know, that was my joint right there. You know what I'm saying? Because it was different to adjust to another Bible. And I was looking back at that Bible and just looking at the words and some of the things that God was doing in my life during that time. And I was excited of seeing, seeing what God was doing in me at that time and how he was loading his word into me and is still loading his word into me. And today as we talk about using the word of God, I, I, I want us to all continue to go through Bibles. Over and over and over again, we've been in our Bible so much that it needs rebinding. Because the old ladies used to tell me in the church when I'd sit beside them in church at First Baptist, and I'd sit down in the pew with my suit on, my little shoes, you know what I'm saying? And um, big hats all around me, loving, and everybody loving Jesus. And I, I love the, the environment. And, and, and they, would say, they would say, baby, they said, a destroyed Bible means a constructed life. I was like, that's deep, Mama Jones. And I, I remember sitting there and beginning to, and that, then my Bible became, though, you know, I was like, see, my Bible tore up. Where your, what your Bible look like? You know what I'm saying? Now how we just do. Become real legalistic and trying to make everybody like us instead of like Jesus. And so today, we want to begin to talk through and walk through and work through what it looks like to actually use the Bible. I'm, I, a lot of times people would say, get into your Bible. But the question is, what do I get into? How do I get into it? And what should I be looking for? And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Turn your Bibles over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And I'm going to read this, then we're going to dive right in. It says in verse 14, it says, You there yet? Say amen. Not there yet? Say hold it. Good God Almighty. Go to Revelation and just start paging back until you see a T, a, a two and a T, okay? And then stop, all right? So go backwards. It's, it's in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. The reason why we don't put it up on the board all the time is because we like to hear the rustling of the pages. Here we go, verse 14. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how you, I mean, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out or spirited by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is a, this is a very powerful, powerful, powerful passage um, where Paul is at the end of his life and he is about, um, he is about to be challenged, excuse me y'all, he's about to be challenged by, sorry, my bad. I just had to get that out the way. All right, now we can go. And so he had to be challenged. He had to be challenged. I was just, it was just dealing with me. Um, and so he had to be challenged um, as a young cat. He was a young adult. He was probably in his 20s or early 30s, that is, Timothy was. And his old head, Paul, is trying to walk with him and, and, and kind of help him to remain faithful. So really... What Paul is telling Timothy here is not educating him, it's reminding him. It's reminding him of how he was developed and shaped in the Christian faith and how he was shaped by the Word of God. That's our first point. You must be shaped by the Bible. Shaped by the Bible. We should say that together. Shaped by the Bible. Say that. Yeah, you got to be shaped by it. This is of massive importance. And so as Paul is leaving the planet, he wants Timothy 
to be versed and passionate about the word of God. And so as he walks through and he's talking to him about the last dish effort, uh, Timothy is hanging out in Ephesus and he's giving him a lot of advice. And one of the things that he leaves him with a lot about, if you look through 2 Timothy, he talks a lot about Timothy's need to be in the word. In the word. When you look in chapter 2, verse 15, he, he, he talks about Timothy, talks to Timothy about the word. He says, do your best to present yourself to who? To God as one approved, a worker who is not, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Most people, when they read those verses, think of it in relation to what you tell others. But the thing that he's not presenting himself to is others, per se, he's presenting himself to God, not merely in his wording, but based on what he studied and how it has been assimilated into his life. And he presents himself approved to God. In other words, presenting himself in a way that God is cool with because the word of God is not abstract and esoteric in his thinking, but it's also made its way into the crevices and the recesses of his practice. And so Paul will say in chapter 4, preach the word in season, out of season. He'll begin to talk about preaching later, but he's very, very concerned about Timothy's commitment to the word of God. He tells him in 1 Timothy, I believe it is chapter 4, he says, watch your life and your doctrine. You don't separate the two. You don't separate biblical theology. You don't separate the depths and the riches of the scriptures. You don't, se you don't separate them in the Christian philosophy of life and mindset. They are merged. There is no doctrine and practice in the mind of the Bible. If you have doctrine, the Bible assumes that it's a part of your practice. And so Paul here talks to his young buck about making sure that he remains faithful to being shaped by the word of God. And so in verse 14, his old head tells him, he says in verse 14, he says, but as for you, he says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Now this is crazy. <clears throat> because he told Timothy that as time goes on in verses 1 through about um, the ninth verse, he tells him that as time goes along, things are going to get worse. And young bucks are going to get buck over time. Cats is going to be begin philosophically and practically buck wild. And they're not going to care about God or his thing. He said there will be some that even they will look Christian. And he says they have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power. In other words... They look like Christians, but they're really not Christians. He said people will be lover of selves versus lovers of God, haters of parents, haters of authority, haters. And so he begins to walk through that. And then so now he said, but as for you, he says, this is not your steeds as a believer. This is, not, this is not how you're supposed to rock Jesus in your life practically. So family, I'm trying to get in you, Timothy. I'm trying to help you out, not just as a preacher, not just as a man of God, but as a Christian, as for you to, 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 to continue, to continue, to continue in the faith, to continue in what you've learned and firmly believe. And this is beautiful. There's a sense that Timothy has been well discipled. There's a sense in this that the culture of his Christian faith has been nurtured in the community of Christians. In other words, Timothy didn't merely have devotions with God with a scroll out early in the morning. Now, I'm telling you that that's important. However, when you look at the nature of these verses... It talks about Timothy not being, I got my time with God, and me and God got our own thing, and we, you know, we here. What you'll see here is interestingly enough, it's beautiful here, fam, that God, Paul is telling Timothy that this was developed with people in your life with the Bible open. Wow. So, 
Paul is teaching us a beautiful biblical principle. He's teaching us that our interpretation of the Bible is not done in a closet. I got a word from God. I got a rhema from God. I got a logos from God. And, and listen to me. I'm not talking about the fact that you, can't, that you can't spend a long time with God. You can't get in his word. You know we emphasize that. However, there's an importance to begin to see the nature of the community being in particular agreement based on particular information, based on and coming from a particular person. And so here he says, I want you to continue in it. And so you see that he was, his convictions were shaped in community. What convicts comes from the values that we allow to shape us. That's, that's important. He says that you firmly believe. What's interesting about that, that it infers, is that our convictions should flow from the word of God. Let me, let me explain that. This is, this is of great importance. And the reason why this is of great importance is because the word of God is supposed to be the former and informer of what you're frustrated about and what you're passionate about. In other words, you shouldn't just have passions in general. Those passions should come out of the word. I remember Jesus. Jesus went up in the temple. He's flanked by his 12 disciples, Matthew 21. They're chilling. They walk up into the temple. He looks around, cats are selling sacrifices, whole nine, acting a fool. There's no difference between what's a sacrifice and what people are purchasing, and people were making money off the sacrifices. And Jesus did like my mama and went and got a switch. He went and got a switch. And, and you know, and he platted the switches like my mama used to. So he got a quasi cat of nine whips. It's funny, he got beat with a cat of nine whips later. He grabbed them, he platted some leather together. And what he began to do is Jesus went gully. Now, see, I know your picture of Jesus is this punk dude that's scared of everybody and out there teaching and people are punching him in the face while he's teaching and he keeps teaching. However, he is meek and lowly, but he is a monster when it comes to some things, right? And, and, and so he wasn't just a monster when he comes back in his glory. He was a beast on planet Earth. Now, let me show you what he did. He walked back up in that joint and he walked around. He started kicking stuff. He started turning over. Y'all got to see Jesus doing that with his tunic on. I mean, I don't know if his veins was going right here. You know what I'm saying? He starts turning stuff over and, and say, shut it down. He closed the doors to the temple so that nobody else could bring foolishness into the temple. And he closed it so they can't take anything righteous out of the temple. And, and, and they said, who is this cat? And Jesus walking around, what? Like, you know, he wasn't going to hit them, but he was going to kick over their table again. I want to present like Jesus, like jabbing cats. He is going to jab them when they come back, though. When he come back, he's going to punch some cats out, all right? Um, but, but, but right now, he's not doing that. But he did act aggressively. And when they asked him why he was doing it, where did that come from? He says, my father's house, and it's written in the Bible, is supposed to be a house of prayer. So you see the thing that frustrated Jesus Christ came from the word. It just wasn't like one of his preferences he had. See, many of us are convicted and passionate about our preferences, but not biblical principles. And, and, so, and so what we see is the Lord Jesus Christ saying, yo, I'm, 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 not, like, I'm not playing when it comes to my God. You know what I'm saying? And so one of the things that's big about the Lord Jesus Christ is he was convicted and shaped by the word of God himself while he was on planet earth. And if Jesus needs to be convicted and shaped by the word of God, then how much more we need to be shaped by the word of God? And so he tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, <coughs> he says, continue in what you have firmly believed or become convinced of. What, what right now is shaping your way of thinking? What right now is shaping your philosophy of life, what right now is shaping your philosophy of marriage? What's shaping your philosophy of singleness? What's shaping your philosophy of work and ethics? What's shaping your philosophy of how you look at the media? What right now is shaping your philosophy of the arts if you're an artist? 
Does your philosophy of the arts come from scripture, which the Bible does have one? I was watching last week, you know, I watched little Jay-Z live thing on Fuse. And it's interesting watching the part before, the 30-minute deal before, where he begins to talk about the philosophy of his album. And what's interesting is, as he was talking, you could tell that he was shaped by core convictions about music and about what music should be saying and the responsibility of the artist while the artist is utilizing that music. And I'm just sitting up here looking at this dude maximizing, and not with a Christ-centered philosophy, but convicted, looking at his own mindset, and even trying to proclaim and influence. Death of the auto-tune is about him calling people back to something. That's what he said. He said, I'm trying to call cats back to actual music. I'm trying to call, and I'm, I'm sitting up like, what? I mean, he's sitting there, and he said, and I am at the forefront of it, and it's my responsibility to call people back. And I'm sitting there like, this is bananas. He understands unredemptively as an artist what the Christian should understand as an artist. But it's not shaped by just liking art. It's shaped by the scriptures. It's shaped by the word of God. We should be the major influences shaping. We're supposed to be trendsetters. Not gear trendsetters, but lifestyles trendsetters. But it don't come by you wanting to be fly and get a deal. It, it comes from being shaped by this Bible, getting up in these scriptures, and cat dudes not seeing getting in the scriptures as some type of punk move. Sister seen it when I know all that. I, I'm telling you right now, there's a deep need for us to be firmly shaped and convicted and developed by the word of God. It is a part of being a Christian, and it's going to feel uncomfortable, it's going to be frustrating, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful. And it's not just done by you reading your Bible, but other people helping you be shaped by what they tell you. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. Because most of this is not even about your personal time in the Bible. It's blew my mind as I was going through it. Even though that's a part of it. And so Paul wants Timothy to continue, and it's interesting. If you look at the means of influence that Timothy got, you don't have to turn to Acts um, chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. Acts chapter 16, you can write these down. Verses 1 through 6. And what you will see is how Timothy was developed and firmly believed the truth of the word of God. It's bananas. Paul and his, Paul and his entourage, his team, took a trip to Iconium, Lister, and Derby and preached the gospel to the entire city and made mad disciples of those who trusted Jesus Christ. Developed them from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity on some level. Appointed elders and dip. I believe that's what Timothy trusted Jesus Christ as Savior doing that swoop through. You'll see in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, when he comes back, I don't know how much time that was. That's about a chapter and a quarter later. You see Timothy hanging out. I, I mean, he was up in the recess. Paul came. He wasn't trying to get all in public. How you doing, Paul? You know I'm up in these scriptures, Paul. You know I'm a beast with mine. Want to hear my mixtape of how I teach? He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Nobody did. He, he sat in the cut. The saints, Paul came through, he says, listen, it's a young buck that trusted Christ when you were here. He's a monster in the scriptures, submits to leadership. He's been shaped by the community. You need to meet this dude. Timothy, hey, Timothy, come in, Big Tim. Tim comes out, humble. I don't know what Timothy had on. Timothy walks up. He nods. And him and Paul gets it in, start chopping it up and talking. And Paul's like, Paul like, um, come here, young boy. Hey, y'all, um, we're going to have to raise some support because he's going to be in full-time ministry with me. But he wasn't shaped anywhere else but among the believers. And you see in this passage, it says his mama in them, grandmama and mama, don't it sound familiar, taught him the Bible. No dad teaching him the Bible. Does that sound familiar? So he memorized the Pentateuch from his youth. And so he walked him through that, and Paul is talking to him about the sufficiency of the word to get him where he is and to take him where he's going. 
And so he goes, and then he begins to say, he begins to say to Timothy over in this, over in this section, he says to him, he says, Timothy, he says, also, he says, and how from childhood, verse 15, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the, the law, the prophet, the writings. We call it the Old Testament. Hebrew scripture slash Aramaic only in Daniel. He says, which are able to make you wise. Yeah. He says, the word of God, Timothy, I don't want you to just take it in as information. He said, but the word of God is able to give you not only knowledge, but the, the, the vast ability to apply that knowledge. When the Bible talks about here, Sophia, it points back to the Hebrew word chakma that means wisdom or skillful living. So when we look at these verses and we see Paul talking to him about it, in other words, David said it similarly. He says, your word, O God, in Psalm 119, has made me wiser than my teachers. So the word of God is able to mature you beyond your years. If you're 21 here, if you're 22 here, if you're any, anywhere under 30, don't get arrogant, but God is able to mature you in the scriptures as if you were a 75-year-old if you got in it. Able to make you, they seem older. Even though you look young, you seemed older on the phone when we were talking. Now you look at them, they're like, dang, you 18? Dang. But it's the word of God. The word of God that's able to soak you in a place that you haven't even been yet because it is ancient. And it was spoken by the Ancient of Days himself. And so because he's ancient, he'll make you seem ancient because you've been in his ancient word. But it's not ancient as, as irrelevant. It's ancient as timeless and never going out of style. <laughs> so able to make you wise. Now what does it do? In making you wise, it helps you to develop a worldview. Say worldview. Every Christian must have a Christian worldview. A worldview is very important because it's the grid on what you say no to, what you say yes to, and what you allow in your system. This is how I've defined Christian worldview. A Christian worldview is a grid that people who know Jesus Christ are developed from, uh, are to develop from the Bible on how they act, interact with, and understand God, people, life, and decision making. I'm going to say that again. A Christian worldview is a grid, a grid, a grid that people who know Jesus Christ are to develop from the Bible, from the Bible on how they are to look, how they look at, interact with, and understand God, people, life, and decision making. And so Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to have a Christian worldview. That means that whatever comes up in your life, you are going on the hard drive based on what you've been developed in and what you've been getting in based on the scriptures and saying, what does the word of God say about this? What does the word of God say about how I choose a place to connect with? What type of local church should I connect with? How does the, how does the Bible help me to think through how I choose to work my finances? How does the word of God help me to work through who I should marry? Very important things. And so that means, a grid means that whatever comes towards you, when you put up a biblical grid, only that which the Bible is cool with comes through. Everything else is held on the other side of the grid. And so he talks about the fact that Timothy has been developed from childhood in this thing. And he said, and have become acquainted with the sacred writers that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's crazy. So Paul is telling Timothy that you were taught to look at the Old Testament. And, I, you know, I'm kind of jealous of, 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 of Jewish people who grew up in the Jewish faith. And then they trust Jesus Christ. And then everything becomes clear. I'm, I just, I'm just jealous of that. I'm just letting y'all know publicly. You know, um, I got some guys I met that are Jewish. 
man, and they, they grew up in the Jewish faith, they trust Christ. And then it's like, dang, that was Jesus. That was Jesus. That was, oh, dang, them coming through. Dang. And they're able to see so much. And so Timothy is told by Paul that you're supposed to view the Bible from a Christocentric perspective. So they were taught fundamentally as believers that you are to get in the Bible and look for Jesus Christ. Not look for your bills to be paid. Not look, see, see, many times we go to the Bible looking, and I'm not saying you don't go to the Bible for help, but the first thing, the first person we're supposed to be looking for is Jesus. And so he says, are able to make you wise for salvation. And so he lays that out for him. Now, he goes to this next part. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Let's stop there. The word there is for breathe out is theopneutas. Say theopneutas. It's a beautiful, 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 beautiful word. And this word theopneutas is a word that Paul created. It's what we call in, in, in Greek theology, I mean Greek workings and Greek syntax and grammar, a hapax legomena, which means that basically he created a word. He created a word. He took the word theos and spirit. He said, how can I tell them that God initiated the writing of scripture? And so Paul said, I'm going to make up a slang word like I do on Sundays a lot of times. And he said, theopneuma. Hmm. Theopneutas. Bam. He wrote it. And it means that God initiates the writing of Scripture. In other words, Cat wasn't saying, man, I, I want God to reveal something to me so that I can tell people about it. God's Cat wasn't thinking about God. God interrupted and intervened and began carrying them along based on first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 21. Listen to me, stay with me because I'm going to chop it all up. He, and, and he says here that God superintended the writing of Scripture. He gave oversight to the writing of Scripture. So how do we lay out a basic definition of inspiration? We talk about this idea of inspiration, that it was inspired by God. The more and more you as a believer get in the Bible, you will learn that man could not have possibly came up with the Bible. If you're really in it. You'll be like, dang, man couldn't have came up with that. Inspiration is that mysterious process by which the divine causality that is God worked through the human prophets without destroying their individual personalities and styles to produce divinely authoritative and inerrant, 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 inerrant writings. We at Epiphany Fellowship believe in what's called, and I know I'm taking y'all there, but we're going to chop it up. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration. What that means is, is that God initiated the process and it was fully inspired by God and he carried them along through blowing on them by his Holy Spirit without error in the original manuscript. So listen, when we talk about this reality, when we talk about putting this word into our lives, we're putting a credible word into our souls. That's all I'm trying to say. It's credible. It's incredible, but it's also credible. And God throughout history, as we look at it, you can learn more about this by coming to Covenant Community on the 27th, and I'll walk you through bibliology. Plug, plug. And so he lets him know, yo, don't forget that the word of God was like, don't get all timid and punkish and, and tender and flowery and popery Timothy, man up. Man up. Put, stick your chest out with humble swagger and, and get the word in your souls and get it to God's people. Don't punk out some, like, oh, some old little punk dude that say, well, maybe if you'll live. No, it's inspired. It's theopneutos. I made up a word just so you can remember, Timothy. It's inspired and initiated by God. Now, Timothy, these are the things that the word of God does because it's credible. These are the things that it does because it's credible. And this is how, Timothy, it's going to practically impact your life on a rich and in-depth basis, Timothy. He says the word of God, number one, 
It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for teaching. And so he goes here and he says, it's profitable for teaching. Now, what does he mean by profitable for teaching? That means that there are several genres of scripture. Everywhere in every genre of scripture, whether it is an epistle or a letter, narrative, historical document, apocalyptic, prophetic, whatever type of book, no matter where you go in the Bible, there is something to be taught to you from there. Everywhere in the Bible, even in 1 Chronicles chapter 1 through 7, where there's nothing but genealogies. Now, most of us, see, y'all y'all got y'all skip that, don't you? Tell me, why in the world did God write all these people? Well, if you read through those passages, you will see God say different things for short periods of time about different people. And I've just been going through that in my time with God, and I've just been rocked. And basically what I'm seeing as a teaching through, that, through those chapters is how God, through the matrix of generations, has been calling people over and over and over and over and over to himself. And all of that dense information, some of y'all say, I've never read Leviticus. I ain't even going to ask how many people in here ever read the book of Leviticus. I'm not going to ask. Those are the books you kind of fall asleep with. But guess what? There is something profitable for teaching in all of those books. God is yelling in Leviticus, I'm holy. And this is how much work I'm going to put you to to show you that I'm holy. But you're still not going to be holy based on doing it. I just want you to show you how holy I am by how much work you got to go through for me to say it's okay and I say it's cleansable, but it still ain't fully holy because I'm so holy you can't attain through it through human works. I have to impute it from my son. So it makes you, yeah. And so you got to look at that Christologically. I just read Leviticus. I go, whew. Thank you for Jesus. That's the teaching from Leviticus. That's what, you, that's what you need to learn. Thank you for Jesus. Some of you walk away with, you, you need to, that's what Leviticus says. You need, if you walk away with that, you done missed it. So it's profitable for teaching. That means that also in it being profitable for teaching is that means that the Bible over the span of Genesis to Revelation talks about multiple subjects. And what he gives you the ability to do is as you go through the Bible, this is why you must read through the Bible as a new believer at least once. Read through the, it in its entirety. If you want to go into ministry and you haven't read through the Bible in entirety, you're playing with the Bible. But I'm just trying to tell you is that what you want to do is you want to pull up similar subjects in the Bible and develop what the Bible says about a particular subject. The easy way to do it is with a concordance. That means you look up a pride. If you want to learn about pride, just pull up pride and look at how many times and go to all those verses and begin to develop a, a theology of pride. Some of us don't want that. Well, let's go to humility. You can do the same thing with humility, right? But the a marriage or whatever the subject is. In other words, Paul is letting Timothy know that the Bible has something to say and it's profitable for teaching. He says, not only is it profitable... Not only is it profitable for teaching, but it's also, but it's also profitable for reproof, reproof. So the Bible shapes us by ethical persuasion. Reproof. That word literally means to break down. To break something down. Now, this idea of reproof has the idea of being with someone else and engaging them with the word. So that means, the word means to convict of sin. The word, the word means using the word of God to make someone aware of their sin. That means the word of God is profitable to see sin in somebody else's life because the Bible says something about that particular sin. You go up to them in love. First, I mean, Ephesians chapter 4 verses uh, 14 through 17 speak the truth in love. Truth with love is edification, truth without love is condemnation. And you go up to them and rebuke or reprove them by showing them that they have sin in their life. Now we don't like that. 
But this is how you grow in the scriptures. By somebody telling you not how cute you are all the time. You know, ladies, the way y'all do, girl, that's a cute blouse. Girl, I like those shoes. Every now and then you need to say, girl, I'm, I'm going to show you a love, but you know you talk crazy to your husband, right? And it's in front of a lot of people. Bro, your man, like, like you're always checking the women out. Like when they walk past, like in sneaky ways, I've been peeping you. Reproof. And it stings, doesn't it? Many of us run from reproof. Soon as somebody challenges us, we shut down and don't come to church no more. We shut down. And it's very important that we as believers, no matter where we are in our walk, even if it's me, listen, reproof is for everyone in the body. And reproof is to break down the manure of sin. But what's beautiful is I've always wondered, why does he say reproof, then correction? Because it sounds like the same word. But when I looked it up in the Greek, it's actually two different words. Reproof means to break down. Interesting. Correction means to build up. Powerful. The sense of, in the force of the Greek word for correction means, means to rebuild, restore, to reform, to reestablish, and to help someone's life to improve. That's what it means. But you can't get an improved correction until you've experienced reproof. Warning. Our lives need to be in close proximity enough with the body where they can reproof us and correct us, break down and build up. It's hard enough. All of us as Christians need to open our lives up and stop wearing our hearts on our chest and thicken up our skin. They say something about me. They talk about me. They should stay out of my business. Nah, a part of being a Christian is for us to tell one another or even asking, are you, that's a part of it. But also we need to be strengthening as a church in how to build up though. How to, how to build up. Man, I'm liking the way you've been, how the Lord been, boom, I see a change. I see, boom, you need to hit believers up with that. And what that does is that encourages them. Man, I can hear some correction. But I also see the other side of it where they're really trying to build me up. They're not trying to hate me. This is booming. But they're using the word, not their opinion. See, if they're trying to reproof you with opinion and fogginess, and I think they'll fall back. But if it's Bible, then you got to listen. So he says the word of God is profitable for reproof and correction. Break down, build up. But then, but then he goes from there and it shapes us in discipline. And he says, next, that it's profitable for training in righteousness. This word here literally for training means to be raised as a child. Raised up. Raised in righteousness. So the word of God is, is the act of Providing guidance for responsible living. That's what training is here. Upbringing, training, instruction. Rearing up people in the faith. Raised in righteousness. It means literally to have a guardian, a leader, or a guide in your life that is training you and working with you and talking with you. I heard a friend talking to me. I don't know if somebody here used it, used the illustration, but... um. I was just tripping off of um, uh, uh, just some of the trainers that, I, that I've seen. I remember when Shaq, for instance, couldn't shoot a free throw. I mean, he can look into the basket like this, like down at it. But for the life of Shaq, in the midst of the hottest time in the season, he could not make a basket. And so the, the coach made him. Boom, boom, boom. 
And he, he didn't get perfect at it. But you did see that there was improvement during the course of that series. But it was because somebody got in his grill, made him stand in front of the basket, and kept passing him the ball over and over and over and saying, Again! 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 You need somebody, which is the community, in your life training you in righteousness. Not in foolishness, but righteousness. And being able to tell you, okay, now nah, do it again. Good job. Do it again. But I, nope. I, 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 do it again. Again. And again, you need training. Every Christian needs training, but not just general training. Training in, see, Jesus Christ at salvation imputed his righteousness to us. So positionally, we have his righteousness, but practically, we don't live out that righteousness. Therefore, we need training in righteousness. And, that, and, and uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 13 says, people are mature when they have their senses trained in the word of righteousness, not in some wisdom. You, I, you know what I hate? When people say, I know what the word of God says, but you got to use wisdom. But you got to use wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. <laughs> and, so, and so when we talk about this idea, listen, training in righteousness. And so that means that somebody can be your same age, but has had more experience in Jesus than you. They can train you. Matter of fact, somebody can be younger than you. And have more experience than you. And train you in righteousness in an area of your life that you ain't got no training in. And then vice versa. But it's based on experience. So he says it's profitable for training in righteousness. In order that, what is it for? Order that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So as we look at this, and Paul is basically, he's applying it to, of course, leadership, but it also applies to the body. That he says, you'll be competently equipped for every good work. So that means it shapes your ability to reproduce. Not only just get it, but to give it. And so this, this is important for the Christian life. So you got to get in the Bible in several ways. Some of the ways you need to get in the Bible is you need to do character studies. Character studies. Look at some of the characters in the Bible and walk through their life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 10.9, it says, these things were written for our instruction. Talking about people making mistakes in the Old Testament. So that means the Bible will show you through people's life two things. Only two. What to do and what not to do. And so that means that you need to be able to go through those different things. And that means you, you need to go through the Bible, but you also can do biographical or character studies and begin writing down characteristics, solid characteristics and unsolid characteristics, and then talk about how does, how does this picture the Lord Jesus Christ? What way in which Jesus empowers and fuels my ability to not become like them, but walk more like him? Every person in the Bible made mistakes. But there's one who didn't make mistakes. So your life has to be marked by the word of God. And so we want to be a, a, a ministry, a church that is not just saying stuff. And not merely just got cool stuff going on. Not be, trying to be elitist and better than anyone else. But one of the things we want to be is we want to be faithful to this Bible. That means, and then you got verse by verse studies. Going through different verses. Grabbing commentaries, grabbing uh, 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 old I mean, New Testament background so you can get the background. Some of you need to grab a new open Bible or, or, or an ESV study Bible. You need to grab those joints and, and, and look in the beginning where it talks about the author, the time, what was going on so that as you go through those books, you can get a clear understanding on how to read it based on the original author's intent to the original audience, but then divine intent. God's intent 
based on the author's intent and where is the Lord Jesus Christ and how do I apply this to our lives? In our next blueprint that we're going to have, we're going to have a Bible study methods class. It's going to be great. Observation, interpretation, application, all of that. So it's going to be great. But as we cap off this series and shut it down, it's going to be massively important that we be in our Bibles and that we appreciate the Word of God. So Paul, in leaving Timothy with this Word, wants Timothy to have a passion to have his life shaped by the Word. That's not just the goal of the elders and the deacons. That's not God's goal just for them. It's God's goal for every single believer. If you are a teenager and you are a Christian, God's goals aren't subsidized because you're not 18 yet. His goal for you is the same. And so we want to be a passionate people that doesn't beat one another up with the word, but that we're shaped by and allow the people of God in relationship to them to say, if someone challenges you or brings something up in your life, ask them, Where's that in the Bible? If that's in the Bible, then I'll submit to it. But don't say it all grudgingly. Where's that in the Bible? Say, show me in the Word of God, and if you show me in the Word of God, not I got to pray about it. If it's in the Word and you're supposed to do it, you don't need to pray about it. You need to pray in doing it. I need to pray and see if that's what God is saying to me. That's just a scapegoat to not to be faithful to the Word of God. And as we cluster together and as we not click together but cluster together, God is going to do amazing work in us if we are a word-centered church, not just in talking smack but in practically in one another's lives. Father, we, um, we thank you for the riches of the Word of God and how the Word of God is supposed to be practically used in our lives for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for teaching, for correction, for all of these different areas, for training in righteousness, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Father, as we, as this gathering comes to a close, Most High, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us to be centered on your word not centered on our preferences, our own passions, our own desires. And God, we're excited. I'm so glad that you didn't like leave us without the word of God. Because life would have been unclear, it would have been extremely difficult and frustrating, Lord God, without some type of instructions and format, but then people to interpret the Bible with us and people to hold us accountable to that interpretation to live it out, not just to hear it out. Lord, help us to be not only hearers of the word of God, but doers and practicers of your word, practitioners of your word. Lord, bless us as we dive into communion. Maybe.